Would you guys grab your Bibles and go with me to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1. We are intentionally, uh, when Paula uh, got a hold of me, um, just to kind of tell you kind of the adventure that I've been on, um, I was up in Minnesota. Isn't that exciting? And if you know anything about what's been going on, um, when I got the text, I just laughed. She's going, what are you teaching on? I'm like, how to recover from 35 below zero. So um, I'm very grateful to be delivered from that land just for a season at least. Uh, Very cold. But anyways, um, at the end of last year, I think I share with you guys, or if you've never heard this before, December is a different type of month for me in the fact that uh, towards the end of the month, everyone's getting ready for the holidays. And so I don't do very much traveling. I go home and hang out with my family. And that's the time where not only do I get to just enjoy my family and be with them, um, it's a season where the Lord about a decade ago started telling me that he was going to come and visit me during the month of December and start talking to me about what's on his heart for what the ministry that he's called me to be in, Plumline, but also what I'm to teach on through the next year. And so... Um, can't remember what was going on, but a little bit before Christmas, the Lord started getting my attention to the book of Ephesians very specifically. And if you guys, uh, any of you read Ephesians recently? Uh, from my past, Bob and Janet would know this, um, a person that had a lot of influence on me, his name was John Wimber, used to say that um, Ephesians is a very important book for the church to grow in. Um, it talks about the church, and what we have in Ephesians is we have identity explained to us about who we are in Christ. And it's very important. Knowing who you are before the Lord is going to change everything that goes on in your life. Because it's actually reality. And if you're not walking in reality, now think about this. If you're not walking in what God says you are, you're actually walking in a form of being deceived. And so the book of Ephesians is very intentional to awaken the church to who they are and what God has, by his love, called them to be on this planet. And so before we start, I want you guys to look at this podium. That's why I'm standing up here and I'm using this very specifically. I want this to represent the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to refer to this podium as that. But think about that as I'm doing the message, that this represents that historical fact. And there's a reason why I'm doing that. A lot of times when we are reading the life of Jesus, we spend a lot of time reading about what he says, and we read about him dying on the cross, but that's not the complete story. The complete story was he was raised from the dead. And since he was raised from the dead, when you go past the book of Acts into the epistles, Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and all these, those writers are talking about What is this new creation, this new life, this reality that Jesus is alive and he's living inside of us? How do we live based on that? And that's what the book of Ephesians is doing now. It's not saying, hey, you got saved and so you're very weak and you're falling apart. He's saying, no, you're you're this unique creation on the planet now. And this unique creation God has specifically decided to pour his love into in a very unique way that will transform everybody once we understand that new life. Now, um, historically, I don't know if you guys have ever had an opportunity to do this, but if you haven't, I'd encourage you to do this. When the, the Protestant, so we have the Protestant Reformation where we work through the topic of justification by faith. And that was very important at that time in, in church history for the people in Europe. 
Uh, they, and what that did is it helped them deal with sin, but it caused a negative thing where we've become sin-focused almost all the time. The Orthodox Church, if you guys know this, the Orthodox Church does deal with sin and the reality that Jesus died on the cross, but when they present Christianity to their part of the world they're called to minister to, they present this idea of a different life. Now, isn't that fascinating? For what we're going to look at in Ephesians here today, that's what God wants us to get, the message that he wants to communicate. You have been brought into a different life. So, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 20. It says, which he worked in Christ when he made him raised from the dead and made him sit at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rules, authorities, power, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also the one to come. And he has put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him, this is Christ, to be the head of everything, and I have in my translation, for the assembly, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And our focus is going to be uh, verse 22 and 23. He put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him to be the head over all things for translation. Some translations say his body, and that's what we're going to work on. Now, when we come to it, there are five pictures of the church that Paul began to write on for the Ephesians very specifically. Now, Remember Ephesus, historically, as Paul's writing this? One of the main things at Ephesus at this time when Paul's writing this is they're very much into spiritualism. Not just idol worship, but spiritualism. So they have these temples where demons come and actually possess people and then cause them to do these uh, intense realities. And Paul, when he's writing the book of Ephesians, he's trying to deal with not just only who you are in Christ, but you are going to face that reality and you need to know that Jesus is stronger than what demons can do in this spiritualistic atmosphere that was in Ephesians. Now, because of the day and age we live in, we think, well, there's very little idol worship. Most idol worship now is stuff like television and food and all that other stuff. We don't have, well, I guess we do. We don't have Big Macs on side of buildings and people bow down to it, but I don't know sometimes. The, the reality of it is, is, Idol worship carries demonic spirit with it. Paul, now in the book of Ephesians, is saying, church, you need to realize you're not to just be in that culture and absorb everything that the culture is about. I've actually given you the position to actually create a change in that culture. And so the first picture, which I'm not going to cover because I covered it earlier today, I'm going to give you the second picture, but the first picture is, what is the church? So when we begin the book of Ephesians, the first picture is the idea that the church is not a building. And it's really important to say that to a group of believers because we always say, I'm going to go to church. The Bible actually says you are the church. And this is very important. When we use the term church, it's a place. The Bible uses the term church as an assembly. And so, you know, there's a group in the body of Christ that's called the assembly of God, right? Well, that's the correct translation of that. You are the assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his, and the word for church or assembly is important. Back in that day, it actually meant a group of governmental officials that have been brought into a meeting with the king or the president of a nation, that's the term that's used for the church. So we have this authority that was given to us just by being in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Okay, it sounds like I'm doing the message, not trying to. The one we're going to look at now is what does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be the, the assembly or the body of Christ? So the first thing we want to do is we want to talk about the twofold aspect of Christ's body. First one is a historical one. We have, historically, Jesus coming into human history. He literally had a physical body. The purpose of his physical body was to fulfill all the stuff in the Old Testament and then go to the cross and carry the law and us violating the law and the penalty of that on the cross and make atonement for us. That was what his body was here for. That was the purpose to be the sacrifice for our sins. Secondly, when the body is talked about after that reality, it, the body is God's collective people that are supposed to complete the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember, he, he alludes to this in John where he says, now look, I've, I've kind of just started this, but then I'm going to turn it over to you guys and you're going to complete it. So you know when we see the scripture where it says, the way the Father has sent me, I'm sending you? The reality of it is, is from Christ's perspective, what you see Jesus doing is what the church is supposed to be doing just consistently and naturally. In fact, when we diminish Jesus' ministry in the midst of us, we cannot change the culture. The culture is to be affected by the full ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has decided that every one of us, not one of us, but every one of us has been called to this place to represent him. Which is <clears throat> fascinating because if you look at how we've gone through church history, we always try to make one person be that instead of the whole body. I think one of the main transformations that I see the Lord doing in this stage in human history, and I hope it just keeps advancing, is you guys are realizing the goal of going together is not to hear a lecture. It's for you to participate. Because you guys are not some infant that always has to be taught after a certain little bit of training. You should be jumping in and being who you're supposed to be in Christ. Jesus is the head, as we see. You're the body. You're the people. Now think about that. When he saved you. I'm so grateful Jesus saved me from my sin. But that wasn't what he saved me to, to just talk about that all the time. He saved me to come and find the ministry of the Lord, the part that he's created for me to be in, and to launch out into that so that the culture, the families, and the community that I live in, in my time in human history, is changed by the ministry of Jesus. And, he's, and he says, all of us get to actually do this. And so we are the collective people that complete the ministry of Jesus on this planet. This is why it's so important. Now, one of the main things that I think hopefully the Lord's helping us understand is how incredibly important it is that we learn to walk in relationship with each other and in unity with each other, the whole body of Christ. Not my little group and we're really the only committed ones and everyone else is that. If I've learned anything by traveling around the world and looking at the body of Christ, we need each other. We don't need to compete. That confuses the world. We actually need each other. And we need to learn to honor each other. Uh, I forgot I was going to say something. Let me just stop for a moment. I'm going to give a commercial. Sorry, I hardly ever do this. When they put up there on the board that thing for Danny Silk, does anyone know who Danny Silk is? Um, he actually works with a ministry thing that I'm doing up in the Twin Cities, and we had him come in to do a conference and do that, that seminar as a live seminar. 
And I want to say something. He said something that's very fascinating. So if you've never thought about going and learning about that stuff, I'd really encourage you to. Because he said, we get education about almost everything on this planet, but there's hardly any education on how to actually have healthy communication and relationship with people. And he's trying to enter into that and actually tell the body of Christ, guys, it's not enough to just make commitments to people. You have to learn how to honor people. And that's something you have to learn. That doesn't just come because we're in a building with each other. So anyways, there's free advertisement for that again. All right, yeah. Now, when we talk about God has brought us together, here's some words that is used for the idea of being part of the body of Christ. This is what Jesus has given us. So the first one is this, obedience. You know, obedience is really kind of fascinating, isn't it? Because Christ didn't give us a hard thing to do. He's given us an easy thing to do. He wants us to actually express love to people. That's what obedience is about. God is, has intentional things that he has called us to be a part of so that his love's expressed to people. And all he's asking us to do is put ourselves in proximity of that and give ourselves to the time of that. The next one is this, submission. Now, submission at two levels. Submission to relationship with people, but also submission to the presence or the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, guys, one of the, the main things that the, you find this as what we call a, a thread or a stream through the whole Scripture is the idea of how important it is to turn our will over to God and say, okay, now not what I want to do here, but what you want to do here. Because we're affirming something by that position in our heart. We're trusting something about God that most people don't trust God for. He's good. And if I submit to His goodness, I will actually be able to express His goodness to other people. And I can't express His goodness unless I submit first to that process. The next word, willingness. 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 I'm not, it doesn't sound right when I'm saying it, but being willing. Um, I was sharing, I think it was with Bob, we were standing back there talking about when I was in the cities, we were training a whole group of people to go out and do uh, treasure hunts, they call them. We used to call it prophetic evangelism. And we had like more than 40 people sign up to agree to do this, and we just put them through their paces, and then we went to the Mall of America, because it was inside, it's larger than most buildings, and we just went on a treasure hunt. And I didn't say, well, you're going to go do this, and then I'm not going to do it. I said, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I went and did it with the students. I had, are you guys ready? Every time you have to be willing, you get to face a giant that Jesus says that you get to overcome. And the more you learn to take him on, the easier it is to overcome him. It's called fear. The willingness isn't that God is loving and that you want to experience his love. It's the willingness to stand against what everybody won't stand against, and it's the spirit of fear. I, I had so much fun with the lady. The Lord gave me very specific five things, and she had every one of those things. It was just beautiful watching the Lord minister to her. One of the things he had me affirm to her was, I've not abandoned you, and, and you could tell she needed to hear that. The love of God was actually there to touch her heart. And then the next word, God actually called you to be available. Now, this is actually the one that for, I think culturally... Uh, Western Christianity struggles with because we're so good at being able to plan every part of our life that we've planned out any time for the Lord to break in and just do something. So think about this with me for a moment. Sometimes it's so hard, we get so focused on what we're doing that we forget we're eternal beings in time. And these relationships that we have with people 
are literally, as we see later on in the book of Ephesians, you're God's workmanship. And so he puts you very specifically in a location with a group of people because you're the people that he wants to share his love through. And so we've gotten so used to the culture pressing us to be just like them where we just run ourselves as hard as we can. So the minute I fall in bed, I collapse because I'm so exhausted. But that's not the standard of the kingdom. Standard of the kingdom says, yeah, you can be involved in all this, but always make your heart available for, oh, God might want to love that person. What is he wanting me to do in response to that? All right. Would you guys turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 19? And let's, let's look at this idea of being the body of Christ and how health actually comes to us. Okay? Um, did you guys know that um, right now in Western culture, especially in the American church, uh, you see this? There's this weird phenomenon that's happening where people don't understand the value of the body coming together anymore, so they're just going off and hanging out with Jesus by themselves. Three people agreed with me on that. That's awesome. Now, four. Okay, so I want you to understand why people do that before we look at this passage. Usually, they've had some bad experience or they don't understand the value of the body of Christ. And I think it's on me as a teacher and the rest of the teachers in the body of Christ to come to you guys and say, now look, there's a reason why we do this kind of stuff. is isn't so we get free food and all that other stuff. There's a reason why God wants us in proximity with each other. And it's this. Look, Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. We're talking about what is health in the body of Christ. Holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knitted together by joints and ligaments, grow with the increase that comes from God. So what is actually being told to us here, if he is the head and we are his body, he wants to work through us as a community, joints and ligaments in this passage end up becoming a question. What are the joints and ligaments? Uh, You know, in the natural body, this is why Paul's doing it. If you don't have these functioning properly, there's going to be a problem. So joints actually have to do with interpersonal relationships between various members of the body of Christ. So think about this. How we relate to each other communicates how well we understand the head. So if I learn to honor you and I learn to serve you, it shows I'm seeing Jesus correctly from my perspective. Because Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. When God so satisfies you with your love, there should be this natural thing where it reaches such a place that you have so much joy in you. This almost sounds foreign to people. You have so much joy in you, it should spill over for you to want to throw that on other people. And then you look at things that they're, they're, they have burdens in their life, whether they're physical or spiritual or whatever they are, and you can't help but get yourself in the middle of it because you have so much joy, you just have to go there. Oh, yeah, I was hoping you'd give me that. All right, thanks. So, And it, it actually means that we come into a room with each other so that we can learn how to honor Jesus by seeing needs in each other and then meeting it. God has decided that there are certain things that he will meet personally in you, like pouring his love in you, answering your prayers, but he's also decided that he will not supply certain things unless the body comes together and does it to each other. We, in in a sense, 
When we learn to love each other in very tangible ways, we are putting flesh to the words that we read on the paper and we're modeling to people, this is what Jesus would do in this situation. So when we say that uh, the body is to be like joints, it's really the idea of joining together. And I, I, it's kind of hard to use that word joint in this state because it has so many implications. So clearly, biblically, I'm not talking about something that's a bad thing. I'm talking about something that's a good thing. Jesus has called you to be knitted to each other. And um, have you guys noticed this in your own life? Everyone wants to isolate themselves, and the only reason they want to isolate themselves is they're afraid of relationship. They're thinking that's going to be hurtful. But the natural longing in the heart is to actually connect with people. Well, the body of Christ is to be the place of connection. I come here to see wholeness modeled to me. It ministers to me. Now, I don't know if you guys are like I am. As I'm hanging out with you guys and I get to just listen to what the Lord's doing in your life, do you realize that that ministers to me at a very deep level, whether you're serving me or not? Just listening to the body of Christ interacting with Jesus, it's, and it's intentional. We see this as a place we come to hear the Word of God. God sees it as a place to model what's going on in heaven on earth wholeness and relationship. Did you say that was a good word? Oh, thanks, Bob. All right, let's keep moving on. It says that we're, the, the body is supposed to be joints, and then it uses the word ligaments. It's not the same thing. So what does that actually mean? It means that they're joined together. The ligaments is actually, are you ready? It's talking about a heart standard here, which is, ready, commitment to covenant love with people. Commitment to covenant love. God has made a covenant with you that whether you're ornery or you're not ornery, He's committed to love you. <laughs> well, in fact, I shouldn't probably use the word ornery. Let's be biblical. He's chosen that if you rebel against Him, He's not going to deny you. He's going to pursue you. And so... You know, we have statements like this made in, in Romans where it says, look, when you were God's absolute enemy, He pursued you. So it's showing you that God intentionally looks at you and says, now, this is important for you. I'm committed to you at such a deep level that it doesn't matter what you try to do. I'm never going to let you out of the palm of my hand, and I'm going to pursue you. Well, once that touches you, it's supposed to cause, isn't that amazing? It's supposed to cause a reaction inside of you. Wow, he's never going to let me go. We sing about it all the time. But that never let go should actually somehow transfer to the people I'm in relationship in the body of Christ. I'm never going to let them go. Uh, think how easy it is to get mad at each other and just say, you offend me, and then we just go hang out with another part of the body of Christ. Let's see, should I tell this story? I actually got to serve in a ministry, and we did our best to destroy each other. We, we entered into the ministry in a very immature way. We were ungodly with each other behind the scenes. We competed with each other. We said cutting hard things to each other. And the relationship split, obviously. And then we went our separate ways, and we, we made sure that we kind of lobbed bombs at each other and were unforgiving at each other all the time. Well, what did Jesus do about that? Jesus, the God Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sat up in heaven and said, well, that's just the way it is with Brian, and that's the way it is with humanity. I'm just going to leave Brian that way. Are you kidding me? 
The minute that relationship got severed, I had the Lord pursue me about, you're going to let that go. And I kept telling the Lord, well, don't you understand how that person sinned against me? Have you ever done that with Jesus? Do you know how much that person sinned against me? And every time I'd say that, the Lord would hear me. He had walked me through restoration of sins they actually had done to me. But then he said, but you cannot leave it here. You can't leave it here. I have the ability to heal your heart to such a place that you don't have to have that kind of wounding ever affect you again, and you can actually love that person. Now, that's different, isn't it? Uh, when the Lord said, it, and when the Lord told this to me, I actually said really something immature. It's kind of dumb. But the Lord said to me, Brian, it's time for you to re reconcile this relationship with this person. And I said to the Lord, they're the one that caused all the problems. You make them do it. Have you ever told the Lord, I mean, he's the head of the church, and you're telling him, no, the way you govern isn't very wise. You do it my way. Have you guys ever done that? Okay, so none of you have ever done it. So this is just a Kansas City thing. And so, boy, the Lord, you guys ready? The conviction of the Lord came over me, and when I say conviction, God kept loving me to a place where he said, now, do you see this love I'm giving you right now? This love I'm giving you that's melting your heart, it'll be a lifestyle if you'll walk with me. If you keep resisting me, this love isn't going to touch your heart anymore because you're in resistant to it. Follow this, and that love will actually give you the strength to forgive and let it go. In fact, the whole Christian experience, isn't it amazing? This whole idea of being the church is God overwhelms you with His love to get you motivated to go to the next place of maturity. I remember sitting there, sitting down with this person and telling them, I'm sorry for everything I did that caused damage in this relationship, and I ask you to forgive me. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, wow, but you're the one that caused all this. <laughs> and after that happened, something, are you guys ready? This is the transformation. Something broke where we are actually, we, we actually work with each other now and can bless each other. That's the reality of being the body of Christ. Now, don't hear something that I'm not saying. If people are spiritually abusing you, you have to separate from them from not having that abuse. But it doesn't mean that you can't come back later and stand on evil, even ground with them, address the issue, and restore something of what Jesus wants to reflect called his body. God is willing to forgive us. We have to be willing to forgive others and walk in relationship. So this covenant love, the love that is commanded for the body of Christ, the best way that we can actually see this is one of the pictures we're going to get later on in Ephesians is like a marriage. It's a covenant marriage. So, you know, uh, spouses, I'm going to say something that's going to shock you. Sometimes spouses don't see eye to eye on certain things. Can you imagine I said something like that? But that doesn't mean immediately you decide you're not going to be in a relationship with them. You learn to work it out. If you're doing it properly, you learn to work it out. Not hold grudges and say, well, you sleep in that room and I'll sleep in that room. That's kind of how the church acts. But really, we're supposed to learn to communicate with each other, work it out, and actually be loving towards each other. That's the idea. Now, that's, okay, so I have to be committed to covenant love I don't have that ability inside of me, so how does Jesus actually help me to do that? That's a fun one, isn't it? How do I love when I don't have the ability to love? Here are four steps for you, and then we'll be done. 
You actually have to present yourself to God. Now remember in Ephesians, we just looked at it. It said that he, it, we are his body. And then it makes this statement, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here's this fullness of Christ. Everything that I don't have the ability to do, the fullness of it is in him. So when I don't have the ability to love well, I don't try to muster it up. I actually submit myself to him and just in a simple way say, what I don't have is in you. Give it to me. Release it inside of me. This thing about the Lord living inside of you, everything that Jesus was able to do can be released inside your soul. You just have to realize you don't have to produce it. You have to submit to letting him work through you. The next one is this. Thanks, Bob. You're so encouraging. You, you have to renew your mind. You have to go through, saying this to a group of people. Now, when we say the renewal of mind, do you know what most people think that means? That means intense Bible studies. The renewing of the mind is really interesting. The reason why we do Bible studies is we're learning to change our perspective. But renewal is very fascinating. The best way I can describe it is the renewal is tied to this concept that Jesus talked about in the New Testament where he said, now look, if you believe in me, what's going to happen inside your soul is rivers of living water are going to come, and it's going to fill you up. Do you remember that passage when Jesus said that? Well, if you look at that term, he's trying to explain a phenomenon that we have right now, even in our culture. Have you guys ever seen a natural spring and try to ask, well, where does that water come from? right? A natural spring. And it's so clean and it's so refreshing and you can drink it and it's so clear you can see depths in it. Well, why does that water have that kind of consistency compared to like ocean water that's filthy, dirty, and salty tasting and you have none of that? Why does this water have that? Well, Jesus is using that term, that water term of a spring. Well, if you study where springs come from, they literally start in a lake and a mountain higher than where the spring is at. And what happens is as the water seeps through the earth, it goes through a cleansing process, a refining and and a a process of pressing to where it gets all the impurities out. It goes under to the lowest part, and then it springs from that place. Well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? When we talk about the renewing of the mind, you're not trying to renew your mind under your own ability as you are before the presence of the Lord and the Lord is speaking to you. You're tapping into the lake that's in heaven. It's coming to you in a pure form and it's welling up inside of you and changing the way you see things. Gosh, I kind of like that one too. All right, let's keep moving on. Part of this idea of Jesus living inside of us is this thing, and it's, it's the the mystery of the Spirit working in our heart. And the mystery of the Spirit is the Spirit causes us to will and to do God's good pleasure. So one of the ways that we grow as a body loving each other is we discover God's will for it. But you guys ready? It's God's very intention to create a desire for you to want to know that. He's leading you towards that. And so the natural thing is, is wherever you're at right now, when you say, well, I'm curious about this in the Lord, you have to understand that He's causing His pleasure to touch your soul. Pleasure always awakens the soul in the kingdom. Love starts nurturing you, and then all of a sudden your curiosity taps into why is that there, and then you start wanting to learn something of the Lord. And then the last one is this. It's kind of hard because we've been culturally taught this, haven't we? 
We have to learn as a body to put away independence. We really have to learn interdependence with each other. I have to learn to govern myself, but not to the point where I isolate myself from you. Okay, let's finish off with this. Have you guys ever had someone in the body of Christ that you believe were so obnoxious you would have rather hit them with a two-by-four than relate to them? (laughs) Possibly right now. (laughs) If you have, I had this experience where I went on, I've shared this before, I went on a missions trip, and I didn't know the team that I went with. And so we got on the trip, all of us started getting on each other's nerves. We're in this uh, communist foreign nation. I mean, it was dangerous being there, and we're fighting with each other on top of it. I get home from the trip, I, I just, I remember landing in the Bahamas and kissing the ground. I was so glad, not that the missions trip was over, but that I got away from the team. Thank God that's over! So I go home. Now, there was this one person that I really didn't get along with, and we fought the whole entire time we were on the trip. Well, who do you think I ran into after I got home? Never saw this person any other time before that trip, and now every time I go to the grocery store or anywhere I go, there he is. And it, got, it was infuriating me. And I kept praying prayers like this. God, would you blow out their tire, not, not kill them, but just injure them enough that I don't have to see them anymore? Can you believe Jesus didn't answer that prayer for some weird reason? Or just literally just make them go 10 minutes or me 10 minutes later, and it, w- it actually increased. Now everywhere I was going, there they were. And every time I saw them, I just went out of my way to stay away from them. Oh, this person, I'd just rather hit them with a two-bar. That's all I was thinking about. To cut to the chase. So one day I'm praying about this. <laughs> Prayed about it every day. But my prayers were, deal with them. They're in rebellion, all that kind of stuff. So one day I'm praying a goofy prayer again. Lord, would you please do Deal with this person. And the Lord responded back to me. And he said, Brian, how come you never ask me how I look at this son of mine? I thought, because I actually want you to deal with him. I don't care. That was the reality about it. But I said, oh, I mean, have you guys ever thought about that? God has a perspective on every person you don't get along with. And it's usually rooted and grounded in love. And the only way that I can love people is I've got to tap into that root of his love for a person and grab onto it because it's not in me. And so when he said, do you want to know how I see this person? I, I Just in astonishment, I said, how do you see him? And I'm on my knees as this is going on, and I'm getting a picture from the Lord of this person being abused by his father and the pain he's had in his heart, and that's why he does what he does. And as God is showing me this, he's breaking my heart to know that person at a different level. Not how we're relating to each other, but what's going on with him. I went on the ground just not liking this person at all, got up off my knees, and I couldn't wait to see him again. Because I saw them in God's love. For, and you guys realize this, if you don't have this, you don't want to act like you don't have it. You want to come to the Lord and say, you're the only one that can knit us. Help me knit with that person. Would you guys join me in prayer? Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're still seated on your throne right now. 
and that you have called us to be your body. All the good work that you're trying to do in this location, both with both congregations, would you create wholeness as we gather? Would you give us love for one another? Would you awaken honor in the midst of us for each other, Lord? And Lord, where we are lacking in being able to do this, we ask that an awakening would come to us of your goodness. And let it well up inside of us, Lord. I just bless your name. I bless your name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.